0: 1 John 3, 11, 24. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of evil, the one who murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whatever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And in this commandment, that we believe in the name of the of His Son Jesus Christ and the love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Ian. You guys can take a seat, man. Uh, so first of all, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you all uh, gathered to to look to the Lord together. Um, and so, uh, if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, uh, we've been we're just over halfway through our series in First John, and so it's been good for me, and I think it's been good for um, people who are just curious about Christianity and what we're about, uh, because John doesn't really beat around the bush, but he gets straight he gets straight to the heart. Of what life with Jesus is like. And so far, John, he's written to, to tell us and remind us of, of key foundational truths about life with Jesus. Uh, John knows exactly what he's told us. Uh, he's, he's not a dummy, uh, but he knows we're likely to hear what he says and let it go in one ear and out the next. Uh, he knows we're likely to register the information up in our brains but not let it affect our hearts or how we function on a day-to-day basis. Uh, He knows we're likely to doubt some of the things that he said. We're likely to have questions pop up, and that's totally fair. Uh, We ask questions like, are we really abiding in him? Uh, Do I love like Jesus and keep his commandments? And so today, in our text that Ian read for us, uh, he's going to take some time. John is going to take some time. Uh, to do a couple of things. First, he's going to bring us some simplicity, and he's also going to bring clarity with that as well. And so, John doesn't move in a straight line. So, he doesn't have like a beginning, middle, and an end. Um, Like some of the the narrative books, uh, especially like in the Old Testament, even some of the epistles in the New Testament, um, they're just very straight line, straightforward, like movement through the plot, through the message. Uh, What John Does is he has a few big points and themes that he kind of circles around, and then he goes on to the next thing. But then he's like, "Oh, but don't forget about this thing that I told you about these verses," you know, in this in the first chapter. And then he kind of keeps circling on these main things and going a little bit further, and then circling back and make sure we're not missing the main point of what he's trying to communicate. Um, And so, some of the things that he's unpacked for us so far, he starts off with Jesus good place to start. He said God took on humanity. Uh, he was perfect and beautiful. Uh, he was holy and righteous. He said we can actually have fellowship with Jesus as well. He's, he's not this imaginary guy up in the sky somewhere, but he's actually a real person that we can talk to and listen to and have a, a real relationship with. And he says as we abide in him, we also get the benefit of being close to one another as his family. And so he John also goes on to remind us of commandments and warnings, uh, not, to, not to be a, a stickler or to gatekeep um, us from our desires, but he actually does this to benefit us, to remind us of the joy that Jesus has set before us. And then last week in our text, we looked at uh, he spends some time bringing clarity to how we can identify children of God and know if we truly belong to him or if we're a child of darkness. And so it's easy to read and hear those things that specifically that we talked about last week, um, that what we what we do helps identify who we belong to, um, and it, it's easy to confuse morality with righteousness or even morality with salvation. And, and John says, he says, once you're saved, once Jesus intervenes on your behalf, you become a new creation, and you actually start to act and think and desire things like Jesus does. And so I, I was reminded of this uh, sitting at my breakfast table a couple weeks ago at this point. Um, so it was an early morning, uh, and Jace, my two-year-old, and I were at the, at the breakfast table together. Um, and it was one of those, like, I think we might have had like one light on the house on, and I, w- I was just still trying to get my bearings. And Jace, just out of nowhere, he says, he says, Dada, how's your day been? And I go, it took me a minute to register what he was asking, um, still trying to wake up, but as soon as I, I I realized what he was asking, I I just smiled and and chuckled a little bit. And I said, "You know, it, my date has just started, Jace, but it's been good so far. I'm glad you asked, buddy." And he may he may not have nailed the timing on that, but what what it reminded me of is that he sits at that table. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. We're home, and he he knows that Mama and Dada ask that same question whenever we're at the table. And so, he did he did that same thing. And so now there are also several things that he imitates um, that I'm not um, so proud of. Uh, <laughs> so, as most of you know and can can testify to, he's been saying no for a while. Um, He's, he's not even three yet, so it feels like a lot longer than what it's actually been. But he's been saying no a lot. But recently, he's, he's added a strong emphasis to his no and to the, all the derivatives of no that you can think of. And so, for example, Bubba, so Isaiah, our youngest, he's one. He wants to play with the trains that Jace pulled out. And as soon as he makes any sort of movement towards the train, Jace, no, Bubba, no, no. He's like, he, Bubba doesn't listen. He just keeps going for the trains. He's like, Jace steps steps it up a level. He's like, Bubba, do not. Do not. And he doesn't really even finish the sentence. He just says no or do not repeatedly. And it just keeps escalating until either my wife or I step in to be like, hey, Jace, these are, these are all of our trains. Bubba can play with these too. Um, you know, I say, my wife and I step in, and when I step in, it's like, I hear Jace say it the, for the first time, and he's like, I'm like, hey, Jace, don't, don't talk to your brother like that, and he he continues, and I'm like, Jace, stop talking to your brother like that, and eventually, I'm like, Jace, and I have to get in, in between him and Isaiah, and I'm like, stop talking to your brother like that, and so I, I really don't have any, any idea where he, where he gets all this from, um. But all that, all that to say, make, I want to make the same point uh, that John makes uh, in, this, in this first letter. He says, as children, we act like our parents, and not necessarily our biological parents, uh, but the, the people who invest in us, the people who teach us, the people who, who form us, the ones that we spend time with, that we, we look eye to eye to, the people that we rub shoulders with— uh, And what he's saying is, we become what we love. And so, with that, I'm going to pray for us. Appreciate it if you guys pray for me, and then we'll get to the text. So, Jesus, we are grateful that you have brought us all here this morning. Lord, we trust in that you're the one that's going to do the work that needs to be done. So, Lord, we just ask that you'd give us the grace to receive that from you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be present with us, that you'd make clear things that that need to be made clear. Lord, that you would let us remember the things that need to be remembered. Uh, yeah, we just need you to illuminate and to lift Jesus high. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. So, on today's verses, John is explaining the benefits of what it means to abide in Jesus. It moves us to, to love one another, is the first benefit. And then, more than to live morally good lives, um, although that's that's a part of it, following and knowing Jesus gives us a deep, brotherly and sisterly love for each other. So the second benefit he mentions is having confidence before God, which gives us confidence and security before each other, which actually frees us to genuinely love each other and not just be this transactional relationship. So in telling us to love one another, the first thing he does in these verses is he tells us what love is not. So let me read, starting at verse 11. He says, for this For this message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so the first thing that jumped out to me when I when I read this was the Old Testament reference of Cain. And so I still I still remember the light bulb moment I had, in the room I was sitting in, uh, when I realized that the whole Old Testament was, was actually about Jesus and it wasn't just this collection of stories and folk heroes. Um and so that that moment was a big catalyst for, for my growth and my love for scripture. And so every time I see an Old Testament reference. It gets me a little bit excited. And so even even in this one, where John uses one of the most notorious happenings of the Old Testament, John still uses it to show us a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus. And so he does so by contrasting what love is in the second paragraph to what love. So what love is not, he brings up first in Cain. And then in the very next paragraph that we'll get to, um, he tells us what love is, and the example that he points to is Jesus. And so oftentimes we think the opposite of love is hate. Uh, but what we, learn, what we learn here is that the opposite of love isn't hate, but it's actually selfishness. And so Cain was reaching for something tangible that he could hold on to, something he thought would make him look better, something that he could take control of, um, maybe even something that would advance himself, or at least that's what he thought. And Jesus, I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but just so we have these two to compare next to each other, Jesus shows us love in that he lays down his life for us. and So he gives up all appearance of potential progress in the world's eyes, and he humbled himself, and he gave himself for us. So Cain was of the evil one. He followed the evil one's lead, and he murdered his brother. Why would anyone do such a thing? Well, the text tells us it's because his own deeds were evil. And then the text also goes on to tell us, he's like, hey, don't be surprised when the world hates you. This is a story as old as time. And so in verse 14, John reiterates how we know that we've been made new, how we know we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And how do we know that? He says it's because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love... Abides in death. So the inverse of that would be whoever loves abides in life. And, and John, John wraps up defining what love is not by echoing Jesus' words when he, was, when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And so he, being Jesus, doesn't, in that sermon, he doesn't get rid of the law. Fascinating, in a fascinating way, he actually raises the bar. And so let me, let me read to you what I'm talking about from Matthew 5 verses 20, starting in verse 21. This this is the words of Jesus. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And so, no murderer or hateful person has eternal life abiding in him from verse 14, we know this person abides in death. So he's externally surrounded by death. Verse 15 makes it clear that, that what we abide in, so whether that's good or whether that's evil, whether that's light or darkness, whatever we abide in is directly connected to what abides in us. So things that affect our thoughts, our feelings, our beliefs, and even uh, our eternal status. And so as, as we keep reading, John makes a turn to define what love is and not just what it's not. So let's read verse 16, uh, 1 John chapter 4. So by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So it begs the question, what is love? And no no surprise to anyone, there are many definitions of that word nowadays. Uh, When I ask that question, several things probably happen. Uh, For some of us, uh, you probably had a song pop into your head. Some of us thought of the object or the objects of our love. Maybe you thought about your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe if you have kids, you thought about your kids, or maybe your grandparents. Uh, maybe wasn't a person. Maybe you thought about like your your favorite food that you really love. Uh, maybe a favorite vacation spot uh, or a hobby that you really enjoy. And so we've heard things from the world like "love is love." Um, thank you, whoever whoever came up with that. That's really helpful and not vague, not vague at all. Uh, But to cut through all of this, to cut through all of this, John defines love not by describing your feelings or my feelings, things that that change on a day-to-day basis or even an hour-to-hour basis, but to define love, he points to a a person and what that person has done. So in contrast to the Murderer Cain's Act, which we just talked about, in the first paragraph, we see we see love in Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. So it might be obvious, but I, I think it, it should be said that Jesus laying down his life for us is the, is the opposite of taking another person's life, which is what Cain did. Jesus Christ laid down his life once and for all. And in an interesting way, when John writes this letter, this sermon, the text here invites us to lay down our lives repeatedly for the good of others. And so I just had to sit and I was like, what does that even, what does that even mean? To lay down our lives repeatedly for the good of each other in this room. So how can, how does or how can that happen in Sacred Mission Church? Um, so a current example that I thought of, I thought, man, I think we do an amazing job at this, is if you've ever seen the speed and the efficiency of which a meal train gets created around here and gets filled up, um, I think that's an amazing way that we love and lay down our lives for each other. Um, and that's not even uh, to talk about the quality of food that gets delivered to your front door. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, you can probably testify to that as well. Um, yeah. Um, but how how can we continue to lay down our lives for each other. Um, some things I thought um, would be helpful, we could we could pray for each other. Um, not in a surface-level, transactional kind of way, but in a way that we actually know each other. Our families know each other. Um, we know all the parts of our lives that we don't want people to know about. Um, we can create space in your calendar um, to be around each other. It's easy to to be in a crowd and feel alone or to get done with work and just want to sit on your couch and, and not do anything. But I think it'd be helpful and healthy for us to to dig in and to spend time with each other face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, and simply just invite others into what you're already doing. And so not necessarily creating this big extravagant plan to get everyone together, but it's like, oh, I need, a, I need to go to the grocery store today. I wonder if... I wonder if... Uh, my friend would be able to 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 tag along, or I could pick something up for him, and I could drop by their house on my way home um and then the last thing I had being quick to listen to each other when we agree and especially when we disagree, and still assuming the best for each other and so that when I say this, I'm not saying a listening with the intention to correct or persuade each other um, but truly listening uh because because you care about the person that's in front of you, and so going on, John continues to echo the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is ruthlessly after our hearts, and John is reemphasizing that that is what fuels our actions. Another another way in Scripture that this is um, that this is said. He says, "Out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks," and I think this is the same. This same principle can be applied to our the entirety of our lives and so god moves toward the broken and the needy it's the entire storyline throughout the bible god constantly moves toward us he constantly pursues us despite our best efforts to push him away and to create distance from him he's always he's always been like that and and the good news is that he always will be that's just who he is and it's in his nature so at the end of this paragraph uh, it 's easy to read and think John is calling us to morality to be a good person, maybe to donate a bunch of money, volunteer at a homeless shelter at least once a month uh, make sure make sure we give every person we see on the street corner whatever we 've got in our in our cup holder in our wallet, whatever and Obviously, I made these examples up, and I do think these are, are worthwhile efforts, uh, but I think that 's the least. I think that's the least of what John is actually trying to to communicate to us here. More than that, I think he's saying, if you have experienced the love of God that he has for you through the person and work of Jesus, that same love will abide in you and be at work through you. Through your thoughts, through your desires, and words for sure. But more importantly, they're going to be at work through your actions and in truth. And so last, last thing I'll say on this, and we'll get to the last paragraph. Uh, being moral, I think, is a is a really good thing. It's nice to help people and be a decent person, uh, but I just want to make it clear that if that's what you think that that Jesus and his people are all about, you're missing a beautiful and vital part of the gospel. Religion, so just think of all the religions outside of Christianity. Religion, and especially the religion of Midwestern nice, you guys probably know what I'm talking about, um not official but it's they say obey and therefore I will be accepted so that's what religion says obey and therefore I will be accepted and maybe more practically it's like oh I'm going to help my neighbor stack some wood I'm going to clear the snow uh when their driveways blocked when I see a car on the side of the road I'm going to stop I'm going to make sure they got all the tools they they need to stay warm and get home safely Again, all very good things. Then once I do this or whatever you have on that list, once those things are completed, then I'll be accepted by God and I'll have a decent approval rating in my community. But the gospel says this, that first, before you even lift a finger, you are accepted. And that is what, that's why we obey and that's also what gives us the ability to obey. The gospel is the only model that truly frees us to love one another without this weird version of love that's expecting something in return. Jesus has already given us everything we need and he's guaranteed it to us through his resurrection from the grave and the sending of his Holy Spirit. So which brings us to John's next transition in the text. Uh, So let's read starting at verse 19. He says, by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Let me read that part again. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, which is the goal. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is a commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So John started in verse 11 by telling us what love is not. He moves on, tells us what love is, and now in this last paragraph, he's telling us what love does for everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. It reassures our hearts, and it gives us confidence before God. I love verse 20. Uh, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. And so uh, it's hard for us to grasp kind of in our, our modern, modern culture, but whenever he's talking about heart here, I don't think he's necessarily talking about the the muscle in the left side of your chest that pumps the blood for you. What I what I think he's getting at is he's saying the essence of who you are, the core of who we are, the origination point of all of our longings, all of our desires. That's what he's saying when he says, um, "Our hearts condemn us, and that God is greater than our heart." Another beautiful piece of this text is that God. It's clear that God is the one that defines reality, and not he doesn't leave that up to our hearts or our feelings, but God alone. And so, so common things we're told by the world today, like follow our hearts or do whatever you want to do. Just figure out your your path to happiness are clearly opposed here and proven biblically untrue. And so some more, some more good news I wrote down is that we, as we read this verse, things like depression and shame don't have final say or authority on our lives or how we how we live our lives, internal our internal voice or our internal expectations, maybe that we're afraid to to say out loud, oftentimes condemn us. I've been there things we we think we should do or should have done that bring us guilt. John says, clear as day, God is greater than these things that feeling we get when we don't feel like we belong, or there's no place for us in God's story or God's family, John says God is greater than those feelings as well. And he, one thing I want to be clear, he's not saying that those feelings and things don't exist. They do. But what he's saying is they aren't, they aren't necessarily true, and they sure, they sure don't define reality. So, when our inner voice tells us we're not qualified we're not we're not smart enough, maybe we're too sinful. We could fill in the blanks for a long time right there. God is greater, and he knows everything. He knows everything not not just the the good parts about us, not just the parts that we clean up and show each other on Sunday mornings. Um, he knows it all, and it's it's beautiful, I find it reassuring that knowing it all instead of uh, creating distance from us, it's his natural response to continue to move toward us, to continue to pursue us, to continue to come after us. Um, And that's just the the way it's always, always going to be. And so all of this, John is unpacking for us so that we can have confidence before God, both right now and the day that we meet him face to face. So, i think I think one of the primary applications of having confidence before God is the ability to to boldly approach him in prayer uh so many of us many of us have questions that we need answered. We've got anxieties that need to be stilled we've got broken places in our hearts that need to be healed we've got we've got things that we're carrying. That only only Jesus can help us with, and if we're honest, it can be scary to to think about those things, to have those thoughts pop up in our head, let alone ask those questions out loud and so John is speaking to us here like his dear children he says don't don't be afraid, you can rest assured that God is greater than your heart." God is greater than those feelings that make you feel unqualified or that you don't belong. God is greater than these things and he knows everything. He says you're you're free to approach him boldly as he's your good father. And so in that same vein, he goes on to say, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And so we hear things like this in America today and uh, our ears Perk up. I like, go. Oh, let's let's see how we can test this to make this true. See how far we can push this. And I think it's natural for us to quickly go to a transactional way of thinking. I want X, so I'm gonna ask for X. I want more money in my bank account. And specifically, God, I want one million dollars deposited in my bank account tomorrow by end of business. So will you please do that for me? And when in reality John isn't doing that. That's not what he's saying. And what he's doing is even a more beautiful work um, for, for his audience, for us. He's making an even deeper tie to the relational bond between God and his people, between God and his children. The more we're around him, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we follow him and keep his commandments, actually leads to a life full of more joy and more pleasure. And at the and on top of that, he slowly forms us to be more like him, which is where the joy comes from. And even even down to our core longings and desires, much more than another transactional relationship uh, that we're all too familiar with, uh, that we're quick to jump to because it's easier and it feels safer at the beginning. More than that, God wants to rescue and heal our broken hearts. And so so let's look at the last two verses. He said, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And so Jesus' command, and let's be clear and speak what the text says. It's Jesus' command, so not his advice, not his recommendation, um, not another option that he gives us. Um, and it's not even John's command, which is the one writing it, and it's definitely not my my command. It originates from Jesus, and John and Lord willing me follow that command and just communicate what he's commanded us to do, and that is believe in Jesus and that he's the son of God, and to love one another. And so there's no, there's no other way to follow Jesus. So whoever keeps his commandments abides. So there's, there's that word again that we've been running into quite often. Uh, whoever keeps his commandment abides in God, and God abides in him or her. And so the relational bond here continues to go deeper and deeper between God and his people. So how do, we, how do we know that God abides in us? It says, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So this I thought was interesting. As John kind of loops around some big ideas and makes his way through everything that he's trying to communicate, this um, is the first explicit mentioning of the Holy Spirit in this book. And so by doing so, he again shows the relational depth that God is desiring to have with us. He gives us his own Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to be his home. And so in all of our in all of our texts today, John has doubled down on the love of God. As good as he says it is, and as good as it truly is, most believers hear what John says, and the first thing we do is look introspectively. We look at our own belly buttons. Look at ourselves. We uh, we hear these things that he's saying. And he's like, "Well, that would be nice if I could just fix these things about myself." Or, man, I I just don't feel like I measure up. Or, man, I wish I just I just wish there was something different about me where this would be true for me. And I think it would make sense to hear these things, to be completely in awe. To be a hundred percent captivated by God and for us to instead of looking at ourselves and what's wrong with us for actually us to to lift our eyes and to look to the God who loves us and so but John's original audience and his audience at Sacred Mission two thousand years later hear what John's preaching and we still have a tendency to doubt that we love like Jesus loves. Our hearts doubt us and condemn us and our first our first instinct typically. Speaking from personal experience here is to learn more. Maybe I just need to muster up the love that that John writes about in here. Uh, maybe we just need to power through our weaknesses on our own. Or here's a good idea. Maybe we just create a list of action items that we need to check off the box so that we can feel we can feel good about ourselves. But what what we need and what John is communicating what we need is to be still and to receive the love of God. We just need to be still and receive the love of God. And so whenever we think we've been still for long enough and we've received what we think God has in store for us, what we need to do after that is to be still and receive the love of God. And then we just do that again and again and again. We let it settle into our souls just how much He loves us. So much so that the only option that we have from there and the only option that would make sense to us at that point is for us to reflect and give that same love that we have received from God to the people around us. So, for people for people here who who don't follow jesus' this, this is the offer on the table. Jesus is pursuing you like crazy. That part is not really a an offer that's just a fact. Jesus is pursuing you like crazy. He's not after your things or anything transactional for that for that matter. He's after your heart, so much so that he gave his own life for you even now as you're still a sinner and for unchurched people, people who don't follow Jesus, that just means you're not you're not on the same team as Jesus. And he knows that. Yet he laid down his life for you. You don't need to to complete a checklist to get his approval. You don't need to to wait for your for your good to to outweigh your bad. Um wherever or however your heart is condemning you, and let let's just be be real for a second. Your heart is condemning you and it is a terrible place to be. It probably feels like that voice inside your head is very loud. It feels like it's very constant. It feels like you can't escape it. Full of condemnation. But the beautiful reality that we live in is that God is greater than your heart. You simply need to come to Jesus and He he guarantees that he will take care of the rest. doesn't mean we don't do anything, but we we follow him as he leads us to finish the work that he started. And so we, like Kevin mentioned, we're going to have a prayer team up here after we, we take communion together. Um, so it, it would make their day, make my day, make your day. Um, if you have any questions about how that works, um, you got anything that we could just gather around Give you a hug and pray for you. About we love to do that. Um, so as as we prepare for that, let me pray for us, and then we'll come to the table together. So Jesus, we we are in awe of how much you love us. Um, we're grateful for the ways that you pursue us, and love us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would you would be working among us right now, that you would be calming fears, that you would be getting rid of anxieties, that you would be just answering questions that only you can answer. Lord, we just ask that you would draw near to us, that we would be able to experience the love that you have for us in Jesus. And so we love you, we thank you, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So I'm going to say it again, but Jesus loves us. He really loves us. He gave himself for us and he gives us this reminder to us each week. He invites us to his table. He invites us to rest, to receive and reflect on the love that he's given us. And so with the assurance of his love, let's boldly come to him today. And so what we'll do if you're new here, we'll come down the center aisle. Uh, Kurt and Jillian will serve you elements. Um, We've got juice, we've got wine, so obey your conscience there. Then you can go back to your seat, stay standing, and I'll I'll lead us in taking this meal together. So you can come as you're ready.